Welcome to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> well, hello there. I'm glad to see you've returned to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we've got a curious item on display. We've taken the liberty to pull this down off the wall, and if you let me unsheathe this for a moment... This is a blade that has come down through antiquity, and while it poses only the usual threats a blade might possess for you and I, a piercing, a slash, a cut, this blade is much more deadly to those of a celestial, godlike existence. This blade has gone by many names over the centuries, but a name it has used before is the subject of the latest movie from Marvel. So let's pull out the kinetoscope and take a look at Thor Love and Thunder. Thor Love and Thunder is a movie I've been looking forward to for quite some time because the Thor series was okay. The first Thor, eh. Dark World, eh. But Thor Ragnarok, when Taika Waititi took over the franchise, that's where business sort of picked up for me. And ever since then, I've been such a huge fan of uh, everything that Taika Waititi has done. Uh, the guy is a brilliant filmmaker, he's a brilliant writer, and really adds a lot of great elements to his movies that I I've just enjoyed. So when I found out he was doing the new Thor movie, I was quite excited, and Oddly enough, uh, this is the only original Avenger to get a fourth film. Now, granted, there is going to be a Captain America 4 coming out, but that's not the Chris Evans Captain America. That is the Anthony Mackie version of Captain America, the Falcon Captain America, which will still be a fourth film in the series with that mantle of Captain America. But it'll really feel like a different film, I think. But definitely Thor is, if anything, the first original Avenger to get his fourth film. So it was really kind of exciting to see uh, what Taika Waititi was going to do with this movie and with this franchise. And one of the things I really loved with what uh, Waititi did with the Thor Ragnarok movie is really bring in a lot of those cool, like, 80s fantasy elements. When you look at especially animated fantasy back in the, the 80s, uh, late 70s uh, through the early part of the 80s, stuff like heavy metal, stuff like fire and ice, even Ralph Bakshi's other uh, film, his version of Lord of the Rings. There was just a grandness, and especially with stuff like heavy metal and fire and ice, it just had a lot, almost like a rock and roll feel to it. And and that's what Watiti has done with the Thor series, with these, these past two films. Uh, Ragnarok and now Love and Thunder. And they even brought it in to the intro to the movie. Of course, Marvel always does the Marvel Studios uh, montage at the beginning with the Marvel Studios uh, kind of music, fanfare music. And they did like an 80s metal version of that for the Marvel Studios uh, opening, which I, I thought, you know, as soon as that kicked in, I was like, okay, we're in for a badass wild ride. Now, this movie is kind of based on two comic book storylines. Of course, you got the Gore the God Butcher storyline, and then you've also got the Mighty Thor comic storyline, because that really deals with a lot of the uh, story where Jane Foster becomes 
uh, a version of Thor. So we get these two uh, source materials, and they really were true to a lot of it. It didn't go down exactly how it went in the comic books, but they were true to a lot of elements of both of these comics, especially with the introduction of Gore. Uh, Gore is this uh, man. Uh, he is on this barren, desolate alien planet. Uh, he's been praying to his god to to bring them salvation, to bring them water, to bring them, uh, you know, a harvest, to protect his family, and the gods do nothing, or his god does nothing, and his daughter ends up dying in the movie. I believe his whole family ends up dying in the in the comic, and in the comic he realizes that the gods are there. They just don't care. They're just not willing to do anything to help people like him and help his family. So he vows to kill the gods. And he, he sees this uh, battle between these two gods. One's all in black, one's in gold. And they kind of die in battle together. And he pulls the sword, uh, the necro sword, from the battle. And is going to use the necro sword to kill all the gods. It happens in a similar situation in the movie. Uh, uh, Christian Bale's Gore the God Butcher hears this calling. It's a calling from the necro sword. And he kind of comes into this oasis and finds himself in the realm of this god that he has been worshiping. This god has defeated uh, another god that is what we'll find out holding the necro sword. He finds out that this god has no care for the goings-on of people like him and his family who have all died. So he takes up the Necrosword, kills this god, and essentially vows to kill all of the gods. And you know what? I know Christian Bale gets a lot of flack for how he is in his personal life. Uh, maybe he's not sometimes very friendly with fans or what have you. But this guy is a an amazing actor. And for any filmmakers or people in the industry out there that poo-poo uh, superhero movies or Marvel or DC or or any of these comic book based movies when you've got an actor like this putting forth a performance like Christian Bale did in this you couldn't get a better performance out of any other actor in any of the past I don't know half a dozen maybe even past dozen Oscar-winning films. I mean, this guy just put on a clinic when it comes to acting because he really embodied all the pathos of this father. In the movie, he loses his daughter. He's just trying to appeal to his God to, to come help them. And the God never comes. And his daughter dies. And he has to bury his daughter in the sands of this barren wasteland. And you feel that pathos. You also feel the anger when he comes to realize that the God he's been worshiping, the God he's tattooed uh, himself to to honor, cares nothing of him or his daughter or, or anybody. And you feel that anger. And then you feel that cold, calloused resolve of somebody that is going to do away with these beings that have the power to care, but show little care for the people that worship them. And then you feel that calculated maliciousness of a man who will do anything 
to get the ends that he wants. The ends will definitely justify the means when when Gore kidnaps all the children from New Asgard. This is essentially holding them for ransom to get Stormbreaker from Thor. And of course, he wants Stormbreaker from Thor because he needs uh, Thor's weapon to be able to open up the, the Bifrost, to be able to get to this realm where he can meet with eternity eternity is this being uh it's it's played a little different than it is in the comic books but uh this is the being at the center of the universe and knows all the comings and goings and i'm not going to get into all that for the people that know the comics uh, you know what eternity is in the comics uh and the differences between that and in the movie for those that don't it really is not that pertinent that you know the backstory of the comic backstory of eternity all that you need to know is in this iteration of thor and this iteration of eternity whoever gets to eternity first essentially gets a wish granted again it's not really comic book accurate, but Eternity would have the power. Uh, in the comics, Eternity just wouldn't care. <laughs> so, Gore is trying to be the first to get to Eternity so he can wish all of the gods away. And and this kind of plays a little different than the Gore the God Butcher uh, series of comics with Thor. Because in that, it's a little hokier in that. It's a very comic book thing to do. But in that comic, uh, Gore goes to the God of Bombs and has the God of Bombs make a God Bomb. A bomb that will go off and, and kill all the gods. Again, kind of hokey. Very much appropriate for a comic book. I mean, you'd see things like that in comic books. I'm glad they did things a little bit different in this. Although being granted a wish to wish all the gods away, only slightly less hokey. But again, Christian Bale just did an outstanding job as Gore. Uh, he's not afraid as an actor to look the part He's not afraid to do what he has to do to get into character, uh, much like he lost so much weight for The Machinist. He lost maybe not that level of weight loss, but it seems like he lost a lot of weight for this role to look like somebody, this this being that comes from the, this barren, desolate, impoverished planet. So he's definitely the kind of actor that will suffer for his art. And I, I respect the hell out of him as an actor. And just, I respect the hell out of what Christian Bale did as Gore the God Butcher. And he really brought a lot of uh, weight and a lot of gravitas to this Marvel villain. It felt very much of a comic book, but it also had a sense of realism to it that, that you know, you don't often get people who walk that fine line superhero movies. And of course you have Thor played by Chris Hemsworth who, you know, what can you say? There's really not much more to say about Chris Hemsworth as Thor. The guy does a great job as this character because he, he one, he looks like a superhero. He looks like the space Viking that Thor is. Uh, he also brings a lot of humor to the role, but he also brings a lot of believability. You know, when you see him going in for the attack, you feel like this this guy is a big, imposing guy that that brings a lot of menace, and you feel like he is uh, the he's a believable foil to whatever bad guy that Marvel throws at him, whether it be Gore the God Butcher, whether it be Thanos, whether it be you know any of these any of these big larger than life characters that 
that they have. You know, he he just looks the part and does a good job. Is he an Academy Award winning actor? Uh, who knows? Depending on the right role, I, I think he does a good job. And he does a great job with this. But we find him uh, where we left off at the end of the Infinity Saga. Is that Thor has taken off with the Guardians of the Galaxy. He's been adventuring with them for the past three years. And while he's he feels like a bit of a third wheel. Or how many... Uh, I'm not sure, like a 7th or 8th wheel. I'm not sure how many Guardians of the Galaxy there are now. But he doesn't need them. To battle anything he's a he's a god he doesn't need their help uh what he needs is their family <laughs> they just don't want him around and it's just some of the scenes between the guardians of the galaxy and thor as they are fighting with him and just he's he's kind of in the way kind of kind of a nuisance more than anything not so much as a hindrance but they had this great scene where the guardians of the galaxy are, are helping this uh, alien planet these creatures have taken over and they're fighting these blue people and the, the creatures look really uh, look like a, a bird rob zombie uh, a cross between that and like some of the muppet creatures from labyrinth from back in the 80s but they had this great th- scene where thor kind of runs in and it's just so so much of that era of fantasy the the 80s the late 70s early 80s and it also felt very much like a a comic book what you would see uh scene by scene in the different panels of a comic book and that's one of the things i really love about taika watiti and what he brings to the thor movie is that he brings you a movie that looks like the pages of a comic book are being put right up on the screen. You can imagine some of these shots where Thor is flying through the air with Stormbreaker ready to, you know, hatch it down this bird thing on this uh, floaty motorcycle looking contraption. It looks like that was a panel out of a comic book. And that's one of the things I really like about Taika Waititi and what he brings to these Thor movies and his what really has turned around the Thor series. But the uh, Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy decide to part ways because Thor has an emptiness in him. Uh, Jane Foster's gone. He's tried to fill that emptiness with the guys and gals from the Guardians of the Galaxy. They don't want him around. They kind of send him off to do his own thing. And there's just some some brilliant work between Chris Hemsworth and Chris Pratt that <laughs> just the handshake scene was hilarious. Uh, the scene you see in the trailer where, where Chris Pratt is talking about how, uh, you know, when you're, you're feeling what lost or whatever, I can't remember the exact dialogue, but when you're feeling whatever, just look to the people that matter the most. <laughs> and you see Chris Hemsworth trying to get in front of his gaze because he wants to be what he, you know, loves the most it's just it's some funny stuff and i would have loved to have seen a full movie of thor and the guardians of the galaxy i know we're getting guardians of the galaxy volume three i dare say thor is not going to be a part of that unless they do some maybe like some flashback scenes but i think you know there was talk when thor left at the end of the infinity saga when he left with the guardians of the galaxy everyone thought we might get a movie with guardians and and thor but uh, it looks like we're not going to get a full movie of that but my god that would be some fun stuff and of course they separate because they've heard distress calls that gore the god butcher is killing off the gods 
And that's kind of the reason why they separate. The Guardians are going to go off and check out these gods, and they want Thor to go off. And, well, they just want him to go off, but he's going to check out Sif, who is, of course, a friend and an Asgardian. Of course, he finds Sif, uh, sands an arm, and takes her back to New Asgard. Of course, in New Asgard, we've got Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. She's the king of New Asgard and kind of bored with all of the bureaucracy of being a king but she does such a great job with this valkyrie character i I was glad to see her featured she was a lot more prominent in this movie than i think she's been in any of the other thor movies and we get to know a lot more about her and she does such a fantastic job like i said with this character it was really nice to see Uh, I I don't know as if I want to see a whole Valkyrie solo film or anything like that, but I really like seeing Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie in in more of a, a upfront, prominent role in these Thor movies. So it was nice to see that. It was fun to see that, you know, her chemistry with Natalie Portman was really kind of nice. And and we'll kind of get to that uh, a little later. I'm kind of saving Natalie Portman's involvement. But, uh, but, you know, Valkyrie has lost all her sisters and the, the Valkyries and, uh, you kind of felt like a kinship, uh, a sisterhood between her and Natalie Portman's Jane Foster character in this movie. So, and then some of the scenes, like when they go to Omnipotent City, uh, the scenes between them where they're watching the whole Thor thing unravel, it was just it made for some fun entertainment. And of course, you have Taika Waititi as the Korg character, the Cronin uh, gladiator who's befriended Thor. He's been with Thor through all this time with the Guardians of the Galaxy. He seems to be the only one excited when Thor is gifted these two giant screaming goats. I'm glad they use them sparingly because it could have got really annoying with those stupid screaming goats and and oddly enough i don't know about the screaming part but the giant flying goats are actually from the comics so uh check that out if you get a chance but oh i i'm glad we didn't get too much with the the screaming goats because that would have oh that was rough. But again, Taika Waititi does brilliant work as a director. He does brilliant work as a writer. But as an actor, he's also quite entertaining and quite good. You know, he knows his niche when it comes to the characters he plays. And he just brings a lot of great humor. Uh, a lot of it tongue-in-cheek. A lot of it sarcastic. A lot of it maybe not even sarcastic, but more deadpan. And that really kind of embodies the Korg character. And then, of course, Natalie Portman back as Jane Foster and Mighty Thor. Of course, Thor comes back to Earth. He comes back to New Asgard. And Gore attacks New Asgard with these shadow demons that he can create via the Necrosword. This is where he kidnaps all the new Asgardian kids. But we get that first real scene where Jane Foster as Mighty Thor is revealed to Thor. And it's it's quite fun to see him uh, doing the whole, you're dressed like me, and, and this whole kind of jealousy of her having Mjolnir because Jane Foster has cancer. And this is part of the Mighty Thor comic series. Uh, she has cancer. She's dying. And in a way to kind of extend her life, and she thinks that maybe it'll heal her, she goes to the broken pieces of Mjolnir, and Mjolnir finds her worthy. And, of course, Hela you know, broke Mjolnir, while Mjolnir comes back together, and she becomes Mighty Thor. 
Now, we find out later that her and the Gore character both have uh, kind of mirrored stories because the Necrosword curses Gore and it is slowly killing him as he keeps wielding it and killing all these gods. Uh, the Necrosword is killing him slowly while Mjolnir is keeping Jane Foster alive and making her strong when she's mighty Thor. It is also in the comics. I think it's burning off all the chemo that she's been taking and that have been keeping her going uh, in the movie. It's just more, it's burning off her life force. The more she uses Mjolnir and the more she is the mighty Thor. So she is dying because of what is making her stronger, much like the Gore character. But she and Thor have this big reunion, and of course there's all the, the sexual attention that a, a person could want or need from these two uh, ex-lovers. And I love how there's this sort of weird quadrangle love thing going on here. Thor is jealous that Mjolnir is, is with Jane, and... And Stormbreaker and and these these this hammer and this big battle axe they are kind of like sentient beings. Uh, it's even in the comics. But uh, Stormbreaker is jealous that it can tell that Thor is longing for Mjolnir. It, it's it made for a lot of comedy. Some of those scenes just you couldn't help but bust out laughing out loud. Myself and a few other people in the theater. Uh, we're quite entertained by that whole thing. As ridiculous as it is to see this big battle axe being jealous of Thor, who's jealous of Jane because of Mjolnir, it, it was all good fun. And like I said, quite entertaining. But during this big battle in New Asgard, Gore kidnaps the kids of New Asgard and has them in hiding trying to get Thor to, to give up Stormbreaker so he can open the Bifrost to get to eternity to essentially wish all the gods away. And that really, to me, felt like a very comic book storyline. In movies these days, kids in danger is just not that big of a deal anymore. Uh, they don't really use that as a plot device to to get the heroes in action, but it's very much of the comics. You know, the, I can't count how many uh, comic books uh, where, you know, or even old TV shows and old movies where uh, a bunch of kidnapped kids or a kidnapped kid, that was the main reason why a superhero or the hero of the movie or TV show you know, sprung into action to rescue the kids. So that felt very much like a comic book storyline, which I, I really appreciated. And then for a movie that kind of lent itself to a lot of uh, the 80s, uh, it felt very much like an 80s storyline. But of course, the uh, Thor and his gang go to Omnipotent City. There it's Thor, uh, Valkyrie, uh, Mighty Thor, Jane Jane Foster's Mighty Thor and Korg, they all go to Omnipotent City and it's this uh, thing where the Godhead exists. It is a group of all the gods that are, are kind of congregate there and Zeus, the oldest living god, is kind of the head of things. They're there to raise an army of gods to fight Thor and if you get the scene with Chris Hemsworth, but 
uh, my wife was so excited to watch that. And then she was so disappointed when she realized she couldn't go with me to the movie theater. I did not tell her she couldn't go. Uh, don't think that. Although I did not want her seeing Chris Hemsworth, his butt, because she seemed far too excited about that than the rest of the movie, seeing the rest of the movie. But she could not go with me, although I'm sure we're going to be, uh, I'll be seeing it a second time because she's going to make me take her to, as she calls it, see Chris Hemsworth's butt. It's not even see Thor. It's to see Chris Hemsworth's butt. But they have that funny scene. And of course, they're trying to get Zeus's lightning bolt, which he calls thunder. And and there's a lot of fun scenes where Chris Hemsworth is talking about how he kind of modeled himself after Zeus. You know, he's the god of lightning. Uh, Thor's the god of thunder. And they, they played off of that, which was quite entertaining. But all hell breaks loose, as things do in comic book movies, and Thor actually runs Zeus through with his own lightning bolt. Now, one of the things I loved next was the scene in the Shadow Realm. That's where the Necrosword is from. That is where Gore, with the power of the Necrosword, is the most powerful. This is where he's keeping all the new Asgardian kids, and of course, Thor and his gang go there to get the kids. It's a trap. Uh, Gore is there, and they have a really good battle scene between Gore, uh, these demons, these shadow demons that he creates. They did a lot of really good work with like keeping them on the periphery. You never really got a good look at them. It felt very much like uh, creatures of the shadows, and you couldn't tell one. This is a spider thing. Is that a dragon-looking thing? They did a really good job of keeping things, keeping the mystery of what is actually coming, which add a lot of tension of course the kids aren't there and gore actually comes away with stormbreaker which leads to the big finale where thor is going after gore korg is nothing but a face after after the big fight in the shadow realm jane lets go of mjolnir and, and goes back into her human form and and thor finally finds out how bad off she is and that she is dying so Thor goes off to fight Gore by himself. And they have this great scene where he finds the kids and he tells all the kids to pick something up that they can use as a weapon. And he imbues them for a limited time, as he says, with the power of Thor. And you have all of these little kids uh, fighting the shadow demons of Gore as he's trying to open up this gate to eternity. And it made for... This crazy-ass kid battle. Uh, you got one little kid that is holding a stuffed rabbit, shooting laser lightning out of its eyes. It's it was it was the wildest, craziest thing, but it just it worked. It felt very much like a comic. And of course, uh, you get the big battle with Thor and Gore. Things aren't going so well for Thor, and then all of a sudden, in comes Jane Foster. Uh, she's been told that if she uses the uh, Mjolnir one more time she's going to die or if she uses it anymore she's going to die but she picks up Mjolnir again to become Mighty Thor to go help Thor putting her own personal well-being aside and of course they don't actually win the day because Gore eventually gets into eternity uh, he's followed by Thor and Jane Foster and as Gore stands there before eternity, ready to make his wish, Jane Foster implores him that, hey, why kill all the gods when you can get what you really want? And that's love. That is your daughter back. He knows he's dying. Uh, he's afraid she's going to be alone. 
Jane Foster is there dying as well. She says his daughter won't be alone, essentially looking to Thor. And Gore wishes his daughter back, who is in fact named Love. He dies and Jane Foster dies. And then, of course, you get the the fun denouement that has you know thor and love kind of doing dad and daughter things uh because she's been brought back by eternity she now has the powers of a god essentially you've got valkyrie training the kids of new asgard uh you've got sif training who i i really kind of forgot to talk about this character which was a a really interesting character of course we see this kid in new asgard he's got a guns and roses poster on his wall and we find out this is the son of uh, Heimdall. His real name is Astrid, but he wants to go by Axel because he's a huge fan of Guns N' Roses. And of course, he uses his, he has all the powers of Heimdall, where you know the eyes turn yellow and he can kind of see across the universe. And he communicates with Thor, kind of letting them know where the kids are and, and kind of has some interaction with Thor. But we see Sif training him uh, to be just like his father, who was the gatekeeper of the Bifrost. But we see Thor and Love, and they're getting ready to go somewhere. And it, you almost feel like she's going to school. But they open up the doors of the spaceship, and there are these warring aliens. And these are the good guys. These are the bad guys. They only attack the bad guys. And they spring to action. Thor is carrying Mjolnir once again. And Love is carrying Stormbreaker. And they're going to kick ass. Hence, Love and Thunder. Love the little girl, Thunder being Thor. And they do kind of this cool bookend where like the beginning, uh, especially during the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff, you have Korg telling this story and narrating, uh, talking about all of Thor's many loves that he's had, pirate women. There's one where uh, he was talking about uh, Thor made love to a, a wolf woman on a woman wolf. And it shows him with this wolf woman on top of a giant female wolf. And, of course, the wolf woman was played by Chris Hemsworth's actual wife, Elsa Pataki. Also, his daughter, India, plays Gore's daughter, Love. And Chris Hemsworth's son played a young version of Thor. They did a kind of a montage where uh, Thor's running through the woods and there's a, a young Thor, a teenage Thor, and then full-grown adult Thor. Uh, his son played the young Thor. And I believe Taika Waititi and Natalie Portman's kids uh, all played some of the new Asgardian kids as well. But anyway, I digress. But you had the Korg character uh, telling the events of what Thor had been doing in a story. And then at the very end, it kind of has him uh, narrating what's been going on in New Asgard, what's been going on with Thor and love, and the fact that they are now love and thunder. And of course, it wouldn't be Marvel without a couple PS scenes. Of course, one of those PS scenes was something that's setting up things for the future of the MCU. And the other one was really kind of a neat cameo. The mid credit scene was uh, Russell Crowe, who played Zeus. And I got to tell you what, Russell Crowe played a really good Zeus. I was a little worried because Russell Crowe, uh, sometimes it just feels like he's playing Russell Crowe. But in this, it really felt like he was trying to play a character. He did a passable, albeit sometimes caricaturish, Italian accent with Zeus being a Roman god. But he's being tended to by all his Zeusettes. And he is he's upset with Thor. And who is he going to send after Thor? 
uh, and all the superheroes because he's upset because humans no longer look to the gods for their salvation. They no longer pray to the gods. Uh, they don't fear the gods anymore. They they pray to superheroes. So who is he going to send to take care of the superheroes and especially take care of Thor who, who tried to kill him? Uh, none other than Hercules. Of course, Hercules has been uh, traditionally a huge character in the Thor comics. Of course, they've been allies uh, i'm sure at some point they've been rivals and you know kind of an antagonistic but but they've had a lot of comics and a lot of interaction together in the movies or in the uh, the comics i should say so it'll be interesting to see him uh in the movies of course brett goldstein uh played hercules uh, whether he's gonna play hercules in the next movie i don't know but uh uh but that's who they had playing you know marvel's done that before they have somebody playing a character in a ps scene and then they recast it totally when they're going to be a part of a, a major motion picture but be interesting to see how hercules fits in to the next thor film or the next film that thor shows up in because it doesn't necessarily have to be a thor film for thor to show up in a movie but uh, that was pretty cool and then there's of course a ps scene where you find jane foster showing up at the gates of valhalla of course she's worthy of going to valhalla because she was a thor and she essentially is a a viking now and who is she greeted by of course none other than heimdale uh, who not only guarded the gates of the Bifrost, but guards the gates of Valhalla. So that was a, a fun little cameo from Idris Elba. And, I, you know, Jane Foster's in Valhalla, but as we've seen with stuff like Moon Knight, uh, just because you're in the afterworld doesn't mean you have to stay there. So I don't know if we're going to see her show up again uh, or not, or maybe this is the end for Natalie Portman and and the Jane Foster character. Or maybe we may just see her in, you know, uh, she does some ghostly visitation. Who knows? But uh, but I think a, a fitting end for, for a good character. And it was good to see her as the mighty Thor. Because I think uh, Natalie Portman does a really good job. I mean, she's a good actress. I mean, from the time she was doing uh, Leon the Professional through all the other iterations of characters that she's played. Uh, she just does a great job, especially a lot of interesting characters. And I, for one, enjoyed her as Jane Foster. I felt in the first two movies she was underutilized. Uh, but I really think as the Mighty Thor, she was a, a great, uh, kind of really tapped the potential of her as an actress and what, you know, what this character of Jane Foster can bring to the table uh, in these movies. So that was quite fun to see her as Mighty Thor. And I'm really kind of excited to see what's going to happen once they put this out on DVD, because from what I understand, there are a shit ton of deleted scenes from this movie. I know uh, there was a couple deleted scenes of Christian Bale because he has these tattoos on him, part of his religious worship to the God that he worshiped in, in the beginning of this movie. And there is a scene because like later on when he becomes Gore, the God butcher, uh, he has all these scars on him where, where the tattoos used to be. And there was a scene that they filmed with him mutilating himself and cutting the areas where these tattoos were because he no longer worshiped that God. And, you know, of course, Marvel thought this is a little too graphic for for us. So they, they cut that scene. But uh, but it'd be interesting to see that. I mean, it really makes a lot of sense. I, I wondered where the scars came from, but 
you know, when you got a little of that connective tissue to see, okay, that's, you know, it's never really even implied. You would have just had to kind of put two and two together yourself. But there was also uh, some scenes. Peter Dinklage was the dwarf Eitri from Infinity War. He reprised his role. Jeff Goldblum as the collector uh, reprised his role. Um, even Lena Headey, speaking of Peter Dinklage and Game of Thrones connections, uh, she was even supposed to appear in the film, but she had her scene cut as well. So it'll be interesting to see all the different deleted scenes from this movie that, that didn't quite make it because it was only two hours. And that's kind of short. Usually most Marvel movies are two and a half hours at least anymore. But I thought that was a good length. I mean, you got a lot of time to tell a really good story. It wasn't too much time where they had a lot of fluff and... You know, it kept moving pretty quick at a good pace. So I really enjoyed the fact that this was a two-hour movie. Wasn't too long, wasn't too short. They really kept the action and the pace moving along from scene to scene. You didn't have too much downtime. And they really did. I mean, Taika Waititi did a really good job uh, balancing that, setting the tension, setting some really unnerving moments. And maybe not unnerving, but some creepy moments. The Gore the God Butcher character and Christian Bale's performance just added a level of menace that, you know, sometimes even felt a little bordering on maybe on the periphery of horror but he did a really good job of really adding the menace that was necessary because there's a lot of comedy in this uh you know Taika Waititi does a lot of hilarious things in his his movies and his tv shows like our flag means death you know he's he plays a lot towards comedy and there was a ton of that there was so much of this movie that felt like Taika Waititi's sense of humor the Korg character uh the, the screaming coats the things they did with them felt very much like something Taika Waititi would do in a movie or a tv series so you had a lot of that you had a lot of but you had a lot of dramatic moments you had a lot of heart in it the gore's daughter dying it was such a heartfelt and sad moment the bits with jane foster with her having cancer and dying was just very heartfelt you know when when jane foster dies in thor's arms that my eyes got a little watery. It wasn't a tearjerker, but I felt things welling up. I was feeling emotions welling up inside of me. So you had some great moments of of tension, and you had some great moments of drama all plopped down in the middle of this very fun and funny movie. And like I said, Taika Waititi does a really good job of balancing it, making it fun and funny without being a comedy. And that's probably what I enjoyed uh, the most about this and what I've enjoyed about Taika Waititi doing uh, these past two Thor movies, Ragnarok and now Love and Thunder. And I look forward to more Thor movies now. Uh, after the first two movies, I really didn't care if I saw any more Thor movies. I was going to watch them. But it was going to be a. Sh it felt like it was going to be a schlog. But now that Taika Waititi's helming these Thor movies, it's just it's so fun because he brings such great '80s fantasy elements. Just the opulence and the bombastic and '80s rock and roll. I mean, they did with this movie 
and Guns N' Roses, what what was Iron Man 3 did with ACDC. You had really cool moments with, you know, it starts out with Welcome to the Jungle when, when Thor is going to face these bird creatures, and they had Paradise City, and, of course, Sweet Child of Mine, which was the big song in the trailer. Uh, there's a sweet moment in the final battle where Guns N' Roses, November Rain, where it starts off uh, with that sweet guitar solo towards the end. It kind of comes in with that and, and goes to the, the end of the song. And then, of course, they did Dio's Rainbow in the Dark in the end credits, which just, you know, Taika Waititi has come out and said that he likes, you know, the metal from the 80s. And this man is a man after my own heart. Uh, I loved all that. I thought the soundtrack was amazing. I thought it really fit the... That, like I said, that kind of 80s fantasy feel that these past two Thor movies have brought. And I love the end credits because all of the names, uh, all the actors' names that they brought up were all in fonts uh, from different 80s metal bands. I saw like Metallica, Megadeth, uh, Poison, uh, Guns N' Roses, you know, stuff like that. It was all really cool and really just lent itself to just being a fun rock and roll comic book fantasy movie and i'll take that on any day of the week twice on sunday so all in all i loved thor love and thunder i think it really was a uh the the story wasn't overly complicated they didn't overcomplicate things they kept it quite simple for a movie like this you know comic book movies can sometimes the plots can get a little a uh, little intense and a little convoluted but they kept the story quite simple and just focused on the characters and focused on making every scene count towards uh, bringing action adventure fantasy science fiction all those things together and that's uh, made for one hell of a movie I was quite happy coming out of the movie theater uh, I wish my wife was there. Uh, she was really disappointed that she missed it. So I have no qualms about going to see Thor Love and Thunder again so she can see it in the movie theater. Because it was it was that good of a movie that I want to watch this movie again. Uh, to see some of the things maybe I missed on the first go around. Uh, but just to watch the spectacle and enjoy the spectacle. This, Like I said, this rock and roll fantasy uh, comic book film. Uh, was quite fun to watch, and I can't wait to watch it again. So hopefully you enjoyed it as much as I did. I've enjoyed a lot of Marvel movies, but I don't think I've ever enjoyed a comic book movie uh, as much as I've enjoyed Taika Waititi's two Thor movies because he really makes you feel like you're watching a comic book come to life on the movie screen. So hopefully you enjoyed that as much as I did. If you didn't, you know, that's to each his own. Uh, not not everybody is a big fan of the comic books. Uh, not everybody is a big fan of Marvel or uh, especially Disney. They get a lot of shit these days. <laughs> sometimes rightfully so, sometimes not so much. But uh, if you didn't care for it, hey, you know what? Maybe the next one. But I want to thank everyone for listening to my thoughts on Thor, Love, and Thunder. Coming up on Thursday's episode, we're going to be talking about Season 3 of The Boys. So be listening to that. You can check out everything that's going on with Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on our Facebook page. We're adding trailers to TV series and movies from all the horror, fantasy, and science fiction you know and love, as well as sharing articles from all over the internet. And no matter where you're listening to this podcast, please uh, follow it, subscribe to it. 
Uh, like it, download it, share it, and please leave a review. Five stars will be awesome, uh, and we appreciate your feedback. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. We hope that you found something to your liking and visit the shop again soon. But even though you may come back, you never really get to leave Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. Ha 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 ha!